This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Changing up on me, I'll have to fix that. Um, now I'm getting made fun of instantly. I can't. Even, we can't even come back from a weekend. Hop in the Discord to say, "Hey, let's talk about what happened in this preseason week two. There's a lot of fun things to talk about." And I'm getting made fun of for my funny face and this thumbnail for YouTube. This is a heartwarming, friendly community, guys. Come on. Oh man, it's funny when I move around. The moon goes away. The rocket ship goes away. Anyway, let's get down to brass tacks here. Week two, NFL preseason, two out of three. I don't know how much we're going to learn from the third week of the preseason. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about exactly how much some of these guys are going to play in the third preseason. Some of the, you know, studs, if you will, how much they're going to play. I don't know what you guys think. I I kind of feel like we're going to see a lot of these guys get put on ice here for week three of the preseason. You know, the core key starters, which is kind of what it's – I mean, shoot, the, the Rams aren't playing any of their starters, right? Like <laughs> Sean McVay came out and said, as long as I'm the coach, Matthew Stafford will never, ever play a preseason game. So, like, you know, we already have some of that. And then you have teams like the Chiefs that have already played their starters a lot and got CH hurt in uh in the process of doing so but i think you know week three is probably going to be where we really don't learn much maybe a little i guess like maybe some of the back end of the roster guys and maybe a few situations where we'll see guys play out but i think the overall premise is kind of that we've learned what we're going to learn and my maybe it's hot take i don't know Maybe other people will disagree with me, but maybe my hot take is that we just like never really have are learning as much as we think that we're learning. Right, that like tends to be my take is like we just don't know as much as we think that we know, and that pertains to like the over like everything uh, with with fantasy, right? That that pertains to you know projections and roles and even like talent sometimes even though i'm you know a proponent of like betting on good players blah 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 but we like we really don't know as much as we think that we know and then we get to this preseason thing right especially this week two we did see a lot of teams play their starters more there's a couple situations that we'll obviously get into i really like to use hayden winks at hayden winks on twitter obviously you guys all probably know him already but if you don't you know co-host of the underdog fantasy football show him and josh norris hayden does excellent amazing work i really like to reference a lot of hayden hayden's work and his kind of recap of all the little nuggets is really really good so i'm i mean there's no reason for me to rewrite it um and he and josh are probably going to talk about it in a, in a little bit but that way you can kind of get maybe some different perspectives if you already listen to josh and hayden's show from some of this stuff so anyway you know, we're going to go through definitely some of this stuff that uh, has nuggets that we can learn from. But I think the overall premise, and I've talked about this mold, kind of, we talked about it last week. We talked about it on a previous show about like heading into the preseason. How should we react to some of this news? And I think the overall premise is, is like, it's just so much less than we think, even though like what happens, right? Is we get a very, still a very, even teams and players that are playing, several series or a whole half or something like that. Even when we're getting those situations, 
it's it, it's still not even a full game, not even close to a full game. And there's like so much potential variance, even in that like half of football, let's just call it a half, right? Guys could get guys could get dinged up in the middle of that half, be totally fine, but could get dinged up and miss a few plays. The teams could not want to show everything in the preseason, right? I think that's a big thing with Trey Lance personally is that that they don't they don't want to be like we know he can run zone read we know he can run that's his best attribute that's what he brings to this football team that's that that creates the ceiling on the offense if we, we didn't like you if Trey Lance is not going to run we don't want to be drafting him right but they've been uh you know kind of keeping him in this you know keeping the training wheels on with Trey Lance and forcing him to grow as a pocket as a totally typical old school pocket passer. And he's been super meh at that. He's made a few, some, some good throws and some good reads and he's made some really bad ones, but I think that's good. They're forcing him to do these things that maybe are a little less comfortable and we know that he needs to grow, but they're not showing everything. Right. But if we extrapolated Trey Lance's preseason over the year, we'd be like, well, this guy doesn't run. What the hell are we doing? He's a bad passer and he doesn't run. Well, they're not showing everything. Right. But we also don't know if and when that's true, you know, so I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe Trey Lance runs less than I think. I think that would, I think that's a pretty poor bet, but it doesn't, you know, but that goes both ways. So anyway, it's just a good example of sometimes even we're seeing things in the preseason that aren't indicative of, of what's going to happen. Sometimes we are seeing things that are indicative of what's going to happen, but it may not play out over the course of the entire year. Again, last week we talked about Justin Jefferson. I know there was no preseason games last year, right? I'm fully aware, but there's, you know, Ola B.C. Johnson, it was like basically confirmed that he was playing ahead of Justin Jefferson. And it, it, it was true. It happened. Week one and week two, Justin Jefferson didn't play that much. Ola B.C. Johnson did. And Justin Jefferson was like <laughs> the league winner of all league winners last year as a pick. So we have to balance all of this like drawing conclusions from these small samples that may not even be indicative, right? Tariq Cohen, if you remember Tariq Cohen, that's probably my favorite example of like preseason um, can be vastly overrated is that Tariq Cohen like didn't play in the preseason. He was like, nobody even knew who Tariq Cohen was. And then week one of that, of Tariq Cohen's rookie year, he was like getting tons of usage. He was their, their secret weapon basically. And they even talked about it. They, they literally talked about to the press after the game. They didn't want to show Tariq Cohen to the league because he was like their their weapon. Their week one coming into week one, they were going to use him in some really fun ways and and fairly high volume ways for a passing down back. So anyway, there's all these examples of all this where I think we just need to lean towards it not mattering that much because we're playing out over the course of a season. We don't know as much as we think that we know, even when we see things. Right. We're seeing we'll get to it in a second. I'm sure Hayden has. I haven't. This is the first time I pulled this article up. I haven't read it yet. I wanted to go through it live. Um, so, some of the nuggets. I have my takeaways from this preseason. I'm getting into some of them right now. Obviously, the Trey Lance thing. Corey Davis. I'm sure we'll get into Corey Davis. Looks like a really, you know, the alpha wide receiver with the Jets looks really good. Zach Wilson looks really good. The offense looks really good. That's great. I've been drafting Corey Davis. Hopefully you've been drafting Corey Davis. I've been drafting Zach Wilson. I hope uh, everybody has got their, their fair share of Jets players. The issue is that it's still only a, a few drives. We're still only talking about a few drives. And Elijah Moore hasn't played. And now we're, we're seeing Corey Davis's ADP spike way up. Because people are seeing, oh my God, this guy might be you know, 30 plus percent target share player. I mean, his, his targets like targets per route runner in the preseason are like, you know, if we extrapolate, he's getting targeted on 70% of his routes. If we extrapolate that over the course of the entire season, you got a first round pick that you can get in the 10th round. It's like, well, obviously we don't want to do that. And I do think he was undervalued. I've drafted Corey Davis and I think Corey Davis was undervalued, but all camp, until he got injured, all we heard about the best player on this offense is Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is going to be a star. Elijah Moore is their best wide receiver. And so is that over? Do we, did we forget about that? 
because he didn't play. He hasn't played. Is is Corey Davis still going to be an alpha when Elijah? Maybe. Maybe we were wrong about Elijah Moore, and maybe Corey Davis is like this alpha in this offense. I find that hard to believe. Um, that everyone would just be saying Elijah Moore is the best player on the team, and now he's just going to fall back, and Corey Davis is going to you know be the the superstar alpha wide receiver. And so anyway, you're, it's a balancing act between all these things, right? It's the same thing with like the, the Antonio Gibson stuff that we talked about way too much. There's small little things we can take away from it. I think, you know, had Antonio Gibson come out and played every snap and played all the third downs, of course, I would be excited for that. That would be good. And it would be a good indicator. And I think it is a, a small, bad indicator for Antonio Gibson that he's not playing those those passing downs. But the bet isn't just for him to play those passing downs on week one, right? If we saw him come out, if we saw Antonio Gibson come out and play all the passing downs, like play 100% of the snaps with the first team, he should be going in the first round. He goes in the middle of the second right now. And so you're really just making this bet over the course of a season. You have to balance how much does it matter as, the, as, as part of the bet that plays. So maybe it did slightly lower the probability odds of Antonio Gibson winning that role over the course of the season. But it didn't change that much. Same thing. Corey Davis, I don't really know that this changed that much for Corey Davis because we just don't know what Elijah Moore means to him. And so I would just be careful on going too far one one way or the other. I do probably want to, you know, like I would feel more comfortable getting a little bit Corey Davis, but I don't want to be buying the top when we don't actually know much you know it's the same thing we bring up adam brings up jamar chase like i think getting if if i'm using the like how the market has gone crazy back and forth on some of these guys that have really really positive or really negative outlooks i think jamar chase might fall a lot you're definitely going to get the cheapest jamar chase of the offseason now over the course you know leading into leading into the start of the season and I'm going to buy, I'm going to kind of, I'm not like going crazy buying right away. I'm kind of trying to gauge the market, but I think he's going to fall quite a bit. And so this is when you want, this is like, I'm able, I don't have much Jamar Chase because I, I wasn't trying to buy him at the previous price, but now it's like, dude, he dropped a few balls. He doesn't look awesome right away. Who cares? We just talked about Justin Jefferson wasn't awesome for the Vikings to start the season even. Jamar Chase will get there. He's a very good football player. He's an elite wide receiver prospect. One of the better wide receiver prospects ever in a, the, the circumstances of him have not changed. High volume passing offense, blah, 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 blah. I preferred T Higgins before, before over Chase. So like nothing has changed except now I'm going to be able to get Chase without having to force myself to mix him in. Now I'm just going to be able to get him. Everyone will just be able to to get him, right? He's gonna fall, but because he, he's gonna fall into he's gonna fall into like what the juju range or something like that. Yeah, like juju, fine. He's gonna fall closer to his teammate Tyler Boyd. Like, I like Tyler Boyd, but I, if they're at the same price, I want Jamar Chase. <laughs> you know, so you're just weighing all of these all of these different things. Yeah, this will be really funny. Well, I'm not trying to get us to to DFS or whatever, but like I think. Like the Bengals, people, the first thing that people pointed out in like week one DFS pricing was the Bengals pricing because all the wide receivers are super cheap. Now, it, it, when people are, do, everyone's going to play T Higgins. And again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't play play T Higgins, but it's going to be really, it's going to be really funny to see what happens with uh, Jamar Chase for week one. Yep. Bengals number four wide receiver. Jamar Chase. You can get there. You can get there. Number three. In the 18th round, Auden Tate. That's what we've decided now. That's how the preseason works. He dropped, Jamar Chase dropped a couple balls, even though the best part is he was open. <laughs> he got the the first drop, if you remember, I think it was the first one. I can't, uh, he dropped like three balls, so I can't really honestly keep track of which one was which. If you remember, I think it was the first drop. He's running a slant over the middle. And... <laughs> I've seen good football players not really want to. We call it the old alligator arms. Kind of stick your, kind of stick your arms out like this because there was a safety. 
He was staring down the barrel at a safety ready to saw him in half. So he gave it the old alligator arms. And uh, like I said, uh, you ever see Terrell Owens go over the middle? He did the same shit. He didn't want to get laid out. I didn't blame Jamar Chase for that, for that first one, honestly. I'm not trying to die my before I make it to uh, the first the first game of my career. Now a couple of the other ones are not very good. He doesn't look he doesn't look very good. But we're taught like he's barely like he's barely played in the preseason. And then there's also my my favorite part about Jamar Chase. We talked about Jamar Chase a lot already. 15 minutes in, but he's a good point. He's a good uh, discussion point. Is like he can't separate or. Like we saw that in camp, right? He's struggling to separate. He's struggling with consistency, you know, whatever. A, no shit. He's a rookie, period. That's hard. He has missed. Like, I get the point of he has not played. You know, he did not play last year. But it's also like it was one beat reporter that's saying he he thinks he's struggling to separate. And like the next day, I saw multiple tweets with videos of him just cooking a DB. <laughs> Like wide open, absolutely wrecked, you know, put some DB on skates and absolutely wrecked him. And it's like, well, clearly he's not struggling that much because we are seeing other like highlights of him, you know, looking really good and looking like the Jamar Chase we expect. So I I personally think the market's about to really, really overreact. And so he's a really good um, example of a guy I do. I do want to buy again. Like if it, if the if the market doesn't react too much, like well, don't buy. If he if he only drops a half round or something like that, you don't have to force him because he was a little bit overpriced. But what I expect, we're trying to get out in front of this, and what I suspect is about to happen is he's about to fall quite a bit. You know, especially maybe underdog is a little bit sharper. I don't know, but like on DraftKings, it's already I got him in the sixth round already since then, um, and I think he's. And I think he's going to fall even more. Um, I mean, look at what happened to like Mike Williams has been injured. Mike Williams went from a seventh round pick to like he's available in the tenth on DraftKings now. You know, will people will not draft Will Fuller? You can frequently get Will Fuller in the tenth round on DraftKings, and I can't figure it out. I guess it's because he has the out thing next to him. I, I I really don't know. Elijah Moore has plummeted because he hasn't been practicing on on DraftKings. You know, so like the, some of these other sites, it's like the market's shifting like crazy. So anyway. Let's get into preseason week two. We kind of talked about this. I want to, okay, we can touch on this, Adam, real quick. Um, I would expect that ETN is mostly like a passing down back kind of gadget back. I think that all indications, you know, have, have been as such. And then Robinson, you know, maybe Hyde mixes in with Robinson on early downs. Robinson is that, you know, 60, 50% back, you know, Robinson gets 50% of snaps and Hyde gets, 10% of snaps, you know, maybe 20% of snaps and ETN gets the rest and, you know, he's getting some manufactured touches and playing on some passing downs and stuff. I think he has a small role, like a, a smaller role than we would maybe hope for from a fifth or sixth round pick to start the year. But the ETN is, is the, is the upside bet over the course of the season. Um, I wish, I wish there were um, a little bit better pass for us to understand that situation a little bit better, but that's pretty much all the indications that we've gotten. So um, I like, I still like ETN and, and I, I kind of like James Robinson as he started to fall. I think we talked about that in discord or on one of the shows or something like that lately. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm into, I'm, I'm kind of into, I'm into the Jaguars. So um, all right, let's look through this. Let me, Expand this a little bit. Shout out again, Hayden Winks. Oh yeah, some of the some of the quarterback stuff. This is fairly straightforward, so we probably don't need to dive in too much. Nagy reconfirms that Dalton will start Week One, and I, I I think that that's probably true. I think we've seen very quickly, however, in these in these preseason games, that if the Bears want to have any shot at competing and scoring some points. Given the state of their offensive line, given the f- relative lack of weapons that they have on offense, and given Andy Dalton is a is a nobody and can't really create anything on offense, I mean, it's pretty clear that it's just a matter of time before Justin Fields take over, takes over. I do think that Matt Nagy wants to start Andy Dalton. I don't. I've never really wavered on that, and I don't think the preseason maybe even really mattered for that. But uh, yeah, I think I don't know who said it. Uh, if it was. 
Josh or Hayden or somebody that I listened to said like, you know, Nagy was there, was there in Kansas city when um, they had Alex Smith and they drafted Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes redshirted his fresh or his freshman year, his rookie year in, uh, in the NFL. And like, I, I think, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable. The take was that Nagy like probably thinks he's the reason Patrick Mahomes became Patrick Mahomes because he redshirted him for that year. And so he's trying to use this, you know, he has this big brain that he thinks uh, he, you know, built Patrick Mahomes because he redshirted him and he's going to do the same thing with Justin Fields. I think, I think that's like a, a pot, like a real and like actually probably fairly accurate take, but I think eventually you do got to win some games, right? The chiefs were winning. And if Andy, Dal- you know, maybe Andy Dalton comes out and lets, sets the world on fire. And that's just part of the risk of taking Justin Fields. But I think it's been become pre- really, really evident that he'll be in there sooner rather, rather than later. And I think uh, he didn't talk about Trey Lance, thank God, in the quarterback section. But I think that same thing has happened as well. I don't think it's unreasonable to think Jimmy could could start week one. Kyle Shanahan has left the door open a lot more than Nagy has. We'll say we'll say that, you know, he He's kind of mentioned that nothing has changed, but he also has lots of hints uh, and lots of little subtle things that you make you kind of like you know, your eyebrows raise when Shanahan talks about about Trey Lance. And it's just basically the same thing. I think Lance has shown that he provides something to elevate the ceiling of this offense, even if he's imperfect. Same thing with Justin Fields, even if he's imperfect, you know, particularly as a as a passer for Lance, he just you know, I, the things that he provides, the downfield passing, obviously we haven't seen the running and stuff yet, but what he can provide with his, with his legs, just the ceiling of the offense is so much better with Lance. And so I feel just as confident as ever in those, these two rookie quarterbacks, not necessarily about week one. Um, although I, I do still think Lance starts week one, but just that they will be like, we should keep drafting them, that they will be in there sooner rather than this is a fact, man. I knew Andy Dalton was bad. I watched last season just like you did. I watched Andy Dalton's whole career, but even last year it was like total tent time for for Andy Dalton. Like, I mean, he couldn't succeed. Granted, the offensive line struggled, but he couldn't succeed with succeed with Amari Cooper, Ceedee Lamb, and Michael Gallup, and Zeke, and Tony Pollard, and Dalton Schultz. Right? Um, he couldn't succeed with those guys. And so, like, what the hell is he going to do? I love Allen Robinson, and I like Darnell Mooney. But what the hell is he going to do with these guys? With a with a probably even worse offensive line now. Like, it's over. They need Fields. Fields has to be Deshaun Watson, and I think he can be. Like, that's what you're. That's what they need Fields for. Like, you see him in these preseason games running around, scrambling all over the place when the play breaks down. Obviously, Dalton cannot do that, and they need like the offense will not succeed unless they have a quarterback who can do that because the line is bad. So, yeah, I'm again. I'm I'm more bullish on Fields and and Lance as well, getting in there early or even getting in there week one. And these coaches just being full of shit, right? What are they going to say? They're not going to put all this pressure on the rookie, and they also want to show respect to the veteran and the incumbent. Like that's just how this stupid political game works in these, right? It's just like Urban Meyer not naming Trevor Lawrence the starter. Like, get out of here. Everyone in the planet knows that Trevor Lawrence is starting but these coaches play these games, right? So um, I will get to the locket thing. I will get to the locket thing. Um, While we're on quarterbacks, this is true. I I don't know what's going on with, with the Trevor Lawrence ADP. I can't make heads or tails of it. Obviously I've been on record that Lance is like my, my guy, but like I've also mentioned like just these rookie quarterbacks and like these mid tier quarterbacks, I think, um, Mike Leone and JJ Zacharyson did some good content around like this could be the year of like the return of the late round QB, if you will. And I think, but I think that's centered around Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Tua, Zach Wilson. Um, I thought I like Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you like Big Ben or Daniel Jones, I obviously have talked about it. I like Sam Darnold, even the guys in the, the situations that we don't know who's starting yet. Taysom versus Jameis. I think whoever wins that job, mainly mainly Taysom, would have upside. Drew Locke versus Teddy. I think Drew Locke would be the one with upside. But uh, even though I think Drew Locke sucks, but when you play with those weapons, you know, so there's a there's a, a ton of these guys that I think have upside in, in later rounds, mostly centered around 
these rookies like Lawrence. And so I can't figure out why a guy like Lawrence is, is falling. Maybe it's the urban Meyer thing I, or just the sexiness of the other guys. I, I'm not really sure, but I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, again, while we're on the quarterback, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. This, I don't even, I don't think anyone's claiming Pete Carroll is some genius. Actually, we'd probably be thinking the opposite given what he's done to his offenses over the last few years. Um, you know, tanking Russell Wilson, but like at least he was, they, they paid Matt Flynn a, a lot of money, more money than these idiots paid Andy Dalton, you know, or Gardner Minshew. And he still started Russell Wilson. He was like, he just saw right away. Yep. This guy make, this guy gives us an element to our offense that doesn't exist with Matt Flynn. And it's not even a, a knock on Matt Flynn. Like I'm not even really knocking Jimmy G, even though I think kind of sucks but like I, i'm not even knocking jimmy g it's just what trey lance brings to this offense i'm not saying he's russell wilson but i'm saying the element that these guys bring to this offense is like it, it's what creates a ceiling for the offense it's what allows them to actually be playoff teams or be super bowl contenders or whatever you just don't get that with the with the matt flynn andy dalton jimmy garoppolo so yeah, i agree i agree it's crazy all right running backs naji yep i think I think we we pretty much knew that Najee was you know going to play. Najee was going to be one of the few like basically workhorse uh, workhorse backs. Um, I think if you like Najee, that's totally fine, and this is good. This is good to see. I I, I will say I think Anthony McFarland looks good, and so I think he might mix in maybe a touch more than than people even even expect. So I think you might have wanted to see maybe Anthony maybe, maybe Najee look quite a bit better than Anthony McFarland, and I'm not. Certain that that's the case, but but I mean, Najee is one of the very, very, very few guys I think that you can lock into uh, a big work role, a uh, big workload. Yeah, Dobbins, the Dobbins, and the next one is a Dobbins and Gus Edwards thing. I think it's Gus was so uh, somebody provided a point about you know basically Gus, Gus played more, uh, or Gus, Gus and you know JK are are, are splitting basically. Um, and Gus played third, I believe Gus played like three out of the four third downs or something like that. Um, I don't have context on down and distance on those either, but somebody also did not to throw cold water on this at all, because I think it's an excellent point, but is uh, that Gus had COVID, I believe, and was, and, and maybe even was hurt. And so like, this was his first time playing. So there's a possible reason to believe that Gus was getting some extra work because, um, they needed to work him, get him back, get him back out there, get him, get him some work. But the point still remains that, you know, I really like J.K. Dobbins as as a as a actual real life football football player. But if you thought Gus Edwards was going somewhere, and if you thought J.K. Dobbins, you know, people hate on Antonio Gibson as a second round pick because oh he's not playing these third downs. Well, yeah, but at least he has a you know at least he's he's still getting a, a massive percentage of the overall backfield touches, and he's getting a lot of snaps. J.K. Dobbins doesn't have either of those things, and he only go he goes a round later. And sometimes on underdog, he goes two rounds later or something. But like it's a this is a split backfield, and was always going to be a split backfield. Now if Gus gets hurt or whatever, sure. But like, I mean, Dobbins was always going to be efficient. Will will be efficient this year, and he's probably not going to not going to like kill you from like the actual point score he's putting up. But um, again, Mike Leone coined him the silent killer. You're going to look at his scores every single week and you're like, okay, he's fine. But like where you're spending on him and opportunity cost um, and the lack of upside for him is uh, is actually going to kill your team. So that's pretty much still where I stand uh, on Dobbins. I've been known to kind of be out on Najee and uh, like and Dobbins, I would rather invest in Najee even I think than than Dobbins, even though I'm not particularly a big fan of of Najee at his current cost either. Um, yeah, Melvin is Melvin is still out, so I'm not drawing a ton from the Javante thing, but I do think it's nice to see uh, just see these these snaps even even without without Melvin. I I think um, you know you need Javante to just I don't think Javante's ever going to grow into like a, you know, total workhorse role, but you just need them to continue to grow into the featured back role, which whatever that means can be very different for, for individual players, but you need Javante to just continue to grow and grow more of the rushing work, get the, get 
you know, not, he doesn't have to play all the passing downs, but get some passing, passing down work in an offense that takes a nice next step with all the talent that they've accumulated. Um, he, as, as Hayden notes, um, you know, had an awesome blitz pickup, which actually was something that came out and said early on in, in camp, which was a huge feather in the cap of Javante was, you know, what, what you, what you see a lot of the times that people don't ever think about this quick side tangent. People don't ever think about this with like these rookies, particularly not even just rookies, but running backs in general, this has happened for Joe Mixon for years, um, which is actually a reason to be bullish on Joe Mixon. Now that Giovanni Bernard is gone. Joe Mixon was a horrible pass blocker and Joe and Giovanni Bernard was a good one. So when it came to third downs, whether, whether we think it matters or not, sometimes it's extremely silly because like, why isn't Antonio Gibson playing third down when JD McKissick is just running a route anyway? Why does pass blocking matter? Because the coaches think it matters. You have to be able to pass protect. You have to know all the protections and you have to be good at pass protection. And it's, it's not the easiest skill <laughs> to learn, especially when you haven't done it at the NFL level before. And so that's a concern for guys like Javante and guys like ETN. ETN was a fairly good pass protector, um, if I remember correctly, in, in college. You know, and obviously he's with his buddy Trevor Lawrence. And so there's there's benefits to that. But these guys, you have to earn that trust, right? Antonio Gibson has to earn that trust as a pass protector. No matter what I think about him as a receiver, no matter if he's even going to pass protect when he's out there. It doesn't matter because the, I, like what I think and sometimes what is logical doesn't matter because it's what the coach cares about. And what NFL coaches care about pass protection. It's probably the biggest gap between um, our fantasy analysis and and what actually happens, it's, it's one of those instances that where it's, it's there's a massive gap because we don't factor in the pass protection thing enough. Um, so I'm always a big stickler on the pass pro thing. But doubling back to Javante, he was like early on in camp getting getting praised for his pass protection, which was huge because he, he didn't play, you know, Michael Carter played more of the passing down stuff at, at UNC. And that was something that was a, potential, you know, roadblock to Javante becoming like a smash fantasy pick. But that's nice to see, you know, drop the drop was bad, but I'm not I'm not super concerned about that yet. So um, I think overall, a little more bullish on Javante, but fairly still fairly similar. Chase Edmonds. I think this is what we should expect. I think the only I'm still kind of on Chase Edmonds, mainly on the PPR sites. He's a little tougher of a bet on on underdog. But, like, I think Chase Edmonds is good. I think he's going to get the majority of that work. Obviously, the concern is Connor getting short yardage stuff. You know, if Chase Edmonds doesn't get goal line work, it's going to be a little tougher to be a smash. I think he can still be a good a good bet, um, but it's a little tougher to be a smash. On the on the flip side, I know that they split all the that early, the first team work. Those two guys split first team work. I am a little concerned about Connor. If Chase Edmonds gets hurt, because that's part of the bet on Connor. I'm not sold he gets workhorse stuff because I think Eno Benjamin could play could play into that. So I have a little bit more trepidation on, on Connor's contingent value. I think it exists, and I think his standalone value also exists, but I worry. That he that that he might get a little bit pigeonholed into kind of early down grinder and goal line back, which is fine. But like, I want the real contingent upside. It's like if I'm going to take James Conner at the same price as Tony Pollard or um, a little bit after AJ Dillon or the same cost as the Bills guys, I think all of them ha- might end up having more contingent value. And I, you know, I'm I'm not even saying I'm wrong, but that's something I've been kind of think thinking through. Miles Gaskin, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. I think this ended up being kind of what we expected to see. There was a really crazy dip there on on Miles Gaskin, um, and I if it continues to dip, I want to get Miles Gaskin a little bit in. You know, he's if he ends up closer to that like James Conner tier, which is actually you know this let's call it, quote unquote the zero RB tier, right? All these guys that we want to take in zero RB builds. Um, if he's in that, if he's in that tier, I, I really want to buy him. It's just I didn't. I, I think it was a probably a poor bet in the fifth or in the fifth or sixth round. But Gretchen, and I talked about when we did a draft uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, we did a DraftKings draft that towards the end, we talked about Miles Gaskin. Um, and I think he's a really interesting 
bet, especially now, because if he gets, if he, you know, I think they're going to play a little bit of this hot hand, but he's their best back. If he does end up earning more of closer to an every down of an every down role, he's a good football player in an offense. I particularly want to want to invest in. And so we know we can catch passes. He has been catching passes in the, in the preseason. He's their most dynamic runner. And so if he gets more into a tier where this kind of bet makes sense, I think we want to buy Miles Gaskin as opposed to before. I think he was probably overall a pretty, a pretty poor bet. Michael Carter. Yeah, not great. I think Michael Carter uh, was, was pretty overpriced before, but he, he might be the same thing. If we, I think he's very, very clearly behind Tevin and Ty Johnson. And the biggest issue for him is that he's a, Definitely not going to be like an early down grinder. And so those other two guys have an advantage there, but he, he's, he's probably, you know, a, a good explosive passing down back, but those other guys can play in that aspect of the game too. You know, he's not teamed up with LeGarrette Blunt. He's not teamed up with, you know, somebody that, 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 you know, is not going to be able to play, play on passing downs where he can earn that role. We could have that role right out of the gate and turn it into more of a smash role, right? He's he's teamed up with kind of these other guys who can pl- do a little bit of everything, say whatever we want about those guys, but they, they can play on passing downs too. Um, and so I'm personally more on Ty Johnson. I think Ty Johnson is the best pick out of out of all this 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 backfield. But again, if Michael Carter starts to dip, I think there be, there could become a point where he he makes sense too. But I think at current cost, um, this this probably should have been closer to the expectation, although. Um, I think, you know, pre-training camp, we didn't know that. And we have gotten some positive Michael Carter reports, but I think it's one thing. This one, this is one that's similar to Miles Gaskin, right? Where I think they might've been a little overpriced before, but if they fall to, you know, if people start to overreact to where they do end up becoming good bets at their cost, I think that's something we can, we can pounce on. Yeah. Is that, I, I, I'm not doing much with the the bills thing. If you, if you, again, if you're drafting on DraftKings or something, you've seen Devin Singletary shoot way, way up, and Zach Moss is falling a little bit. Um, uh, I believe Zach Moss stepped out. He he actually scored the touchdown, scored a touchdown last week as well. I think that you know Moss has been dinged up, and so Singletary got the start, and they just this is just what they're going to do. I, I didn't they didn't Brian Dable come out and literally say? Uh, we're going to play hot hand at running back. We like these guys. They're going to get the ball. Singletary was hot, <laughs> right? On that first drive, he looked awesome. And I think Singletary's pretty good and he's a good pick, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, okay, this is Singletary's backfield. Now I would treat this as it's the same as it was before personally. Yeah. Xavier Jones and Jake Funk. I don't really have a good take. I kind of think Jake Funk looks better than Xavier Jones to put my put my hat on, my scouting hat on. I kind of think Jake Funk looks a little bit better. And he was playing, um, I believe he's, yeah, as Hayden says, he started. Funk started and played most of the most of the drive, most of the first three drives. Um, but I th- I think Xavier, the, the helium on Xavier Jones has probably gotten a little bit out of control because we had a lot of uh, belief that he was the guaranteed number two. And I'm not so sure that that's true. Not so sure that that's true. Yeah. I think we talked last week about Philip Lindsay and David Johnson. Excuse me. Right. And like people were like, oh, Philip Lindsay got all the every got all the early down work for the first team. We got to draft Philip Lindsay now. And I was like, what are we talking about here? You want an early you want a 190 pound early down grinder on the worst team in the history of the NFL? Not like that. We're projecting them to lose every game, basically. And he's not playing passing downs. <clears throat> I don't want that guy. And now it might be even more murky. Like God forbid, Mark Ingram is getting getting snaps. What I will say about Philip Lindsay is there's a again there's a price where most of these guys probably make sense. And if he as the youngest back, which is insane to say, he has the youngest back and the most electric back by far on their on their offense can earn more of a. a bigger role late as, as the season goes on on this team in negative game scripts, he's catching passes that there, there can definitely be some value there, but um, yeah, I don't think I really want to be much on those Texans backs. 
Um, same thing here, Gio. Uh, I'm, I really like Gio. Gio, unfortunately, has also risen a lot on DraftKings. I don't know about Underdog. I haven't been drafting as much on Underdog lately. But um, I, I'm not drawing too much from the fact that Gio hasn't, you know, has only basically played third downs. I think that's probably the like at his cost. That's probably fine. Um, but uh, Davis and I talked about on at the end of last week on our show that he he's trying to get Gio in every draft that he does. I think he drafts a little bit more on the PBR site. So I totally agree. I've been trying to get a lot of Gio, but I do think what we're seeing here is he might have a little bit of paths to a little more upside than we think, not just James White. I think he could earn a little bit more than that. I don't think Rojo and, and definitely not Lenny are like these huge roadblocks to him becoming kind of a smash. So uh, I think Gio is still a fair, a really, really strong pick more so on PPR sites, but I think he also makes sense even on underdog with, with maybe a little more upside role wise than people would think. Yeah. I'm, again, I think we're trying, we're trying way too hard to extrapolate things for the Cowboys offense. Like I think we're trying way, way, way too hard on fair. Like, I mean, we're talking about 15 snaps. We're talking about 15 snaps. I, I, the expectation is not that Michael Gallup takes like 50% of the slot. Like, what are we doing here? What is the expectation? Did you think Michael Gallup was, I'm not talking to you, Hayden, by the way, I'm talking to people because I've seen there. People are constantly talking about this Michael Gallup slot thing. Like what's he going to play? 10 to 20% in the slot and CD plays 60% in the slot and Amari gets the rest. Like, isn't that the expectation? You just want a few more Michael Gallup being the downfield flyer on the offense on the outside. Why, why is that bad in the seventh round of a fantasy drafts? That's good. That gives him this big play upside. And now you just need to mix in a few more, which they did the first, like speaking of extrapolating over, uh, tiny samples over the course season. He played one of seven snaps or something like that in the slot in the, the Hall of Fame game or the first game or whatever the hell it was. Um, isn't that good? One out of seven in the slot? Isn't that what you want? So I'm just a little confused as to what we're doing here with this. I think we're overanalyzing the Michael Gallup uh, thing. Like if he moves inside a, a, a handful of times a game and gets and gets a, a handful of like that's exactly what we're talking about that's exactly what you want get get take my big play upside from michael gallup that we know he has on the outside which is a good thing it's being construed as a bad thing which is a good thing and now just manufacture me one or two again where i'm getting i'm getting the floor in out of the slot bingo yahtzee in and, and and it's still the cowboys offense and what if amari gets hurt what if CD gets hurt? So I still like Michael Gallup. Yep, Corey Davis. We kind of talked about Corey Davis. Um, he is, you know, it's a. I think I think it's a great indicator of Corey Davis. Hundred percent. If you were on Corey Davis before, great. This is a perfect thing that you want to see. I do think we want to see what happens with Elijah Moore when Elijah Moore gets in there. Not and again, that is not that Corey Davis can't maintain this. Um, it is just that I I don't think. Excuse me. I don't think if you're drafting right now, you're probably seeing a lot of Corey Davis shooting up boards. And I, you can buy, you can, like, you can absolutely buy, like, as we have a little bit more information, it's totally fine to buy Corey Davis at a slightly higher price. I just wouldn't continue to chase the helium if it continues to go up and up and up. Like, everybody feels very certain Corey Davis is a smash now, and he might be, but like, Elijah Moore is still there. And, and we're not talking about that many right? 13 routes. Corey Davis run 13 routes. And we're very certain that he is some full-fledged Calvin Ridley level alpha. And I just think we need to like, don't chase it too far, basically. But as to Hayden point at wide receiver 50, I think he's been under, he's been undervalued. So he probably deserves a bump anyway, but let's not get like, you also don't want to chase him too, too, too far. Um, especially when you start thinking about thinking about the tournament aspect of things. Keelan Cole, yep, Cole didn't play with the ones. I think he's probably always been uh, the number four 
the number four there in a rotation. He'll get some rotation snaps. Not too worried. Um, I took some of, some of him. I think you still can take some of him in the 18th round, um, mainly with Zach on Zach Wilson teams. I think that's okay. But I, you know, there's a lot of flyers. I, I would not be prioritizing him. Diami Brown, seeing Diami, like if Diami can, you know, Curtis Samuel's not playing, but if Diami can earn the third wide receiver spot in those three wide receiver sets, um, I hope everyone has been smashing Diami Brown. I mean, um, a lot of people far smart, smarter than me were on Diami Brown, but I, I, everybody, I think that has been, you know, quote unquote, sharper has been on Diami Brown and the price has risen a lot, but he's still extremely affordable on like a site like DraftKings. And I think on drafters too, um, just every we're getting, you know, everything you see from Diami Brown is a really positive thing. And even if he doesn't have that role, right. Even if they keep Adam Humphreys out there in the slot or whatever to start the year, um, I think Diami can grow and take, take this over, over the course of the season. So he's the kind of later round bet. I think we want to make. Tight ends staying on Washington. Uh, there was a question on Lockett. So while we're on the wide receivers, I want to talk about. Uh, is it fair to be concerned about Tyler Lockett's volume now that Eskridge looks like he will be the number three and is developing rapport rapport with Russ? Seems like they will have a similar route tree. Um, I don't think they'll have a similar route tree. I think Eskridge is going to be more of just the complimentary, not gadget. Gadget's not the right word, but um, play a specific role in that offense. I think there are two, still two very, 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 very clear. Like you want to talk about uh, developing rapport. I'm not sure that there's a pairing of players with more rapport than Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. So like Eskridge could, I saw the reports too. Eskridge is out there at 5 a.m. or whatever with Russ um, getting in, getting in work. That's good. That's great. You know, he's missed a lot of time, so he's trying to get get back up to speed. That's awesome. Um, I like to see that. And Eskridge is totally free on DraftKings, and he fell a lot with the injury, I believe, on, on like underdog and stuff too. So I think he's a nice late-round flyer as well. But, like, I think Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, like, have mind meld. They just know each other's thoughts. Um so I don't think Eskridge will ever be able to get to that level of rapport. I think Lockett, um, if you listen to um, a lot of what's going on out there in Seattle with kind of the new offense that they're running, getting away from Brian Schottenheimer's Hail Mary style down the field offense, I think that will really benefit Tyler Lockett out of the slot. I think he's going to get um, some high, some, some, you know, uh, high probability touches, you know, lots of shorter to intermediate stuff instead of, Russ seven-step drop holding the ball running around. Um, and he got some of that last year, but I think that he's going to have a little bit higher floor this year based on everything that we're hearing out of that offense. But I do like Eskridge. Um, I just don't think Eskridge hurts Lockett. He might help him. I mean, if you have, if Eskridge is any good at all and he's able to take the top off the defense on one side and you have DK Metcalf on the other side, like how the hell do you stop Tyler Lockett then? If those two guys are out there and they have Gerald Everett, who's like one of the most athletic, you know, he hasn't uh, become like a standout actual real life tight end, but he's one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. So, yeah. Long story short, I think Seattle offense is a pretty good buy. Logan Thomas. Yeah, Logan Thomas, I think, has been I don't really like to dip into that tight end range too much, that middle tier tight end range i really like kind of the barbell approach to tight end with the elites or taking your shots on the next breakout just because i think that that's the best way to spend your capital given how the drafts play out usually um, but logan thomas is a guy i do think we can buy in that middle tier along probably with noah fant are my favorites um, just because fant i think has the actual real life football player breakout potential which we would want to target um and logan thomas yeah i mean he was you know, it's, a, it's obviously very different. He's not going to catch as many balls as he caught last year. I'm pretty certain of it, given the shift to Ryan Fitzpatrick and given the defense is great and given um, some more added target competition. But I think his efficiency should really shoot up with much better quarterback play and much better surrounding talent. And he's one of these few guys that is actually not a role player. He's out there. He's never going to leave the field. They've paid him. Um, he really, uh, Evan Silva has been mentioning about Logan Thomas over his last several like 
podcast, like Logan Thomas just continued to get better last year. And so I think he's still an ascending player probably as a converted quarterback playing tight end. Um, and so I think Logan, I think that lots of, lots of these things are very bullish for Logan Thomas. And I think he's still a good buy at his price. Yeah. I, I do wonder, uh, John Daigle pointed out on this Mike Kosicki point. I do wonder how much of Gasicki's, uh, kind of increased role from the first game had to do with, as Hayden points out here, so I should have read it first. Uh, obviously, Will Fuller and Devontae Parker did not play in this preseason game, and Jalen Waddell played, got targeted on three of their first four passing attempts, and then got a little dinged up. He came back, and he's fine, but he got a little dinged up. And Waddell is, is kind of you know their slot guy, which is actually what Gasicki really is, mostly a slot player. And so um, I'm not sure what it, what it means about Gasecki. Gasecki is one of those weird guys where I think if we're just looking at him, you know, by himself, standalone, he's probably over, he's probably been overpriced over the course of the, of, of the season, but he's also a guy I don't want to, I don't, I'm not taking a stand of, I want zero Mike Gasecki, you know, especially in two stacks, but also just kind of in general, I don't want to have zero Mike Gasecki. Like he's, He's too explosive of a tight end at a really weak position in an offense I'm, I'm definitely buying into. And it's like, we think he might lose some snaps. We think there's definitely risk, but there's also very clearly upside. And so he's just a guy like, I want to take when it makes sense and I want to have my share, but I don't want to take a, you know, and I don't want to take a big stand against. And I think that that's the through two preseason games. I think I feel even more confident in like that, that take. Jarwin and Schultz, I think same same thing here. Jarwin's really falling too, so I'm probably gonna scoop maybe a little bit more, a little bit more um, Jarwin. I think he's uh, same as some of these like running back bets we talk about. Like over the course of the season, as Jarwin recovers, you know, from gets further away post surgery, post ACL tear, I think he can earn more time. And earn earn more work. I think he's clearly the more exposed explosive player. Clearly the player they prioritized, you know, with, with their money. Um, and so I think it's just natural that he's kind of working his way back. And Schultz proved to be competent enough last year. Um, but the bet I would want to make personally, uh, you know, as in, as it relates to best ball and like a, a player breaking out over the season would be Blake Jarwin. Ferkser Ferkser is a similar thing. Uh, we talked about. I talked about this uh, with uh, Karine and Daigle on the NBC Sports Edge show last week. Um, I, I He's also a situation where I guess people wanted, kind of like the tight end Antonio Gibson, I guess. People wanted to see a role change. Uh, you know, we wanted Ferkser to be an every down guy, but he just wasn't going to be that. And, and maybe even, you know, quite a bit different than Gibson, where Gibson can probably grow into this role over the course of the season. I'm not even sure that Ferkser will ever grow into more more of a role than like he's a he's a receiving specialist if he's not out there blocking when derrick henry's run, who gives a shit uh, uh, being out there for derrick henry blocking with your 17th round tight end like it doesn't really matter and he's he, he's not this like honestly if you thought anthony ferkster was going to turn into you know george kittle or darren waller like i, I think you were probably just mistaken what he what he does provide is he's a a pretty good receiver, like on a on a targets per route run and a yards per route run basis. He's he's actually quite good at that cost. And you're betting on one of two things: simply him having spike weeks based on Titans passing volume spiking, right? Whether Derrick Henry gets shut down, they fall behind, and and then now they start using Ferkser because, as we see, you know he he is going to play a lot in the slot. He's not going to play a lot in 12 personnel. They have Jeff Swaim, I believe. I think I think Swaim is there. They're starting to end. Uh, you know, he he's probably not a bet to have the elite end of season ranking as a tight end. But in the games where their passing volume spikes, where they fall behind, game script dictates they need to throw more. Ferkser can spike big time in those games. And if something were to happen to Derrick Henry, now he spikes. He has to play more. They can't. I, you guys know I love Darrington Evans more than anybody on the planet, besides maybe his family, maybe more than his family. But 
they can't run Darrington Evans or Jeremy McNichols or Brian Hill or whoever like they run Derrick Henry. They can't run the same offense. So now you get Ferkser as an upside play. So correlating him, he makes a lot of sense as a correlated bet with Darrington Evans, with A.J. Brown, with Julio Jones, with Ryan Tannehill. So I don't think anything has changed for Anthony Ferkser. Yeah, Ebron, Ebron played a little bit more than Pat Phil Helmuth. But uh, I think it's possible that 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 goes away. I think they. I think yeah. As uh, Hayden says, a full blown takeover by Fryermuth is maybe not super likely. I think probably pretty unlikely. But I think uh, taking on a lot more of the work as the year goes on could absolutely could absolutely be in the cards. So looks like that. That is it. Perfect. What perfect timing. Great article, Hayden. It's like you timed it up perfectly for this, for this show. And I thank you. And I thank you for that. So um, big things, big, big key, key takeaways are probably not even really super player specific for me. We talked about it at the top, but just understanding that this whole thing is a market and understanding how little we know about things. This, these we're seeing, we're seeing bigger shifts in ADP than we've, than we've ever seen way bigger shifts than we than we've ever seen based on very little things sometimes they're sometimes they're big sometimes they're they're very small right the DAC stuff DAC plummets when actually we find out that 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 didn't matter and so like the jamar chase thing is a great example keeping tabs on jamar chase like especially if you were like me where you you don't have a ton of jamar chase i don't think anything has really changed for jamar chase i know it seems grim but like Nothing has really, really changed. And like, okay, so he gives a few snaps to Auden Tate in week one or week two. Saint Justin Jefferson gave snaps to Ola B.C. Johnson in week one and week two last year. I know he's not priced the same as Justin Jefferson, but the breakout could absolutely still happen. He could still be, the, you know, I prefer T. Higgins personally, but it doesn't mean that Jamar Chase can't be the smash in that in that offense, especially as the season goes on, right? He gets more and more comfortable. Um, we know how talented he is. And so just being being more conscious of how all of these things play into the market that we're playing in is the key takeaway for me. It's not that there's not useful things here because there are. It's not that there aren't things that that matter because there are plenty of things that matter. But it's just that we have to take them all into this game that we're playing and not and like if we were all trying to create the most accurate projections for the entire season, you know, or definitely create the most accurate projections for week 1, we would really, really be like super micro analyzing these things, but that's not the game that we're playing. I'm trying to make it to week 17 with a, with a underdog best ball team and then have the best team for week one to win a million dollars. A lot of these things factor in very, very, very differently um, for that. So anyway, that's, that's the biggest takeaway. One final question here from Adam. Uh, that's, I, I, I think um, Henry plays, you know, as it, uh, question for if anybody listening to this on the podcast feed what i've heard mostly was that henry hunter henry was going to play in line and be sort of the gronk right using this super lazy analogy hunter henry was going to play in line and be sort of the gronk and john who was going to play a little bit more of the aaron hernandez type role um i think john is quite possibly the most explosive player on their entire offense and hunter henry is kind of this very reliable um, physical over the over the middle of the field threat, whatever, like, you know, just a good tight end, all around good tight end. Um, and so I think that's probably how I would play it. You know, if you were trying to think about it from a way to, to comp it to a situation, they're not as good as obviously not as good as Gronk and Hernandez. But I think Janu is like kind of the explosive guy. They want to try to probably manufacture some touches for Janu, use him in a little bit more creative ways, and he probably plays less snaps. Um, but maybe also possibly has a, l- a little more more upside, but I wouldn't even say that either. Um, I think Hunter Henry is is also a really good player in his in his own right. Is probably going to play nearly every snap or a lot or a lot more snaps, obviously assuming health, um, and you know have maybe a little bit higher floor and probably a little bit higher market share of of the offense. That's how I would think about it. I think um, I'm open to different ideas, and I'm not 
I'm not staying like totally tied to that. Like I take John a little bit. I think I prefer Hunter Henry and I definitely have more Hunter Henry, but I wouldn't write off John because of that either. I think they're both pretty good. They're both super cheap. I mean, extremely cheap. And so I want to have, I want to have both of those guys. All right. Uh, perfect timing about right on an hour. Um, if you haven't seen it, I posted the schedule for the rest of the week. It's the same as last week. So I'll be back tomorrow at this time reviewing drafts posted in the Discord. So if you're in the Discord, if you're not in the Discord, make sure you go to spikeweek.com. There's a sign up button. You'll get an email to join the Discord. If you are in the Discord, tomorrow is draft review day. So we'll be back at this exact time to go over drafts posted in the Discord. I know there's some we didn't get to last week. So I'll be getting to all those from last week and then any new ones posted tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I am also getting a, a couple special guests for some drafts later this week, and those should be fun. I can hopefully announce those maybe tomorrow. Uh, maybe tomorrow. Those will be fun drafts. I think you guys will be excited for some of these, for some of these guys. But anyway, that wraps it up for today. Happy Monday. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I will catch you guys tomorrow.